Good morning. It is great to see you guys today. Lance, I heard in your welcome you said that we had a great afternoon planned for him here, so we need to pull this out for about two hours. Is that correct? And yeah, it'll be you and me left when that two hours is over, probably. Saddam Hussein. How many of you recognize that name? Beautiful guy there, isn't he? Uh, He was uh, a worse person. Saddam Hussein ruled Iraq for 24 years. And this is an estimate, it's probably a low dollar, low ball estimate, that he killed about 2 million of his own people during that time. Now, that's not talking about they had a 10-year war with Iran or anything like that. That's talking about him killing people that he considered enemies. That's about 83,000 people a year he had whacked. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious. He killed his two son-in-laws. He killed uncles. He killed cousins. If you were Saddam Hussein's enemy, how he was going to deal with you was very clear. He was going to eliminate you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and as you're turning to that... I want to ask you a question today. How do you want to deal with your enemies? Now, I'm going to give you the Jesus part of this in just a second. But how honestly do you want to deal with your enemies? And you might, uh, if you're careful, you, you might even write down a name or two of a person that you're struggling with or you feel like is treating you poorly because this message will be about you and your relationship to them. In... Luke 6, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, if you're taking notes, the word enemy is a wonderful word. Here it means your adversary. It means one who is antagonistic towards you. It's someone who's hostile or who does not feel good about you. Now, if you're going to try to live the Christian life, you don't need to be an enemy to anyone. But if you were here last week, you heard me talk about that even if you're the most godly person there is, people are going to consider you their enemy, their adversary. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. How many times does Jesus frustrate you? (laughs) This is tough. Folks, the thing about this today is this is not pie in the sky. I mean, this is right where you live, and this is right where I live. See, we want to do just the opposite. Jesus says, love our enemies, though. No, we'd like to pop our enemies, wouldn't we? Uh, Jesus says, pray for them. Yeah, we want to pray for them. We want to pray that, you know, that, that they have really bad luck and lose all their hair and things go poorly for them in life. Jesus says, speak well of them. We want to slander them. Jesus says, do good to them. And yeah, we'd like to do something to them, all right, wouldn't we? And and I, I want to give you a word of comfort. If that's how you honestly feel, you're normal. It's natural. It's the way people have been since Genesis chapter 4 when Cain killed his brother Abel. I saw this week a quote from a Greek poet and writer who lived about 400 years before Jesus. His name was Lysias. Listen to what he said. He said, civilized people serve their friends and seek to do harm to their enemies. (laughs) Did you get that? Civilized, sophisticated Greek people seek to serve their friends, but yet to do harm to their enemies. When I was growing up, I remember this little corny saying. It said, if you love something, set it free. If it's meant to be, it will return to you. How many of y'all remember that? And if it doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. Well, in Tennessee, where I grew up, it was this. If you love something, set it free. If it was meant to be, it came back to you. If it didn't come back to you, hunt it down and shoot it. 
That's how we have been trained to deal with our enemies. There was a man that him and his wife were in a bitter divorce battle, and he died before they were divorced. And a few weeks later, she was at the lawyer's office, and he had mega moolah. And what she found out is the lawyer said, well, he had taken the money, he had manipulated it, and y'all were worth about $40 million, and he gave the $40 million to his secretary. And a couple of months later, after she got out of the hospital from shock, she went to go get his headstone for the graveyard. And they said, what do you want put on the tombstone? And she said, rest in peace until we meet again. <laughs> you know, this is probably true for some of you. There's people today who are dead that, that you're still struggle with because they were mean to you, they were hateful to you, they hurt you. So let's look at this. We know how the world says to deal with our enemies. We know how that in our hearts, if we're honest, and listen, the only way this kind of sermon helps you is that you just really get honest with yourself today. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot do the things we're going to see on your own, but we're going to see at the end of the sermon that there is a solution. There's someone who can help you do these things. Let's look at number two. How does Jesus tell it to stick it to our enemies? Folks, this is counterculture. I titled this sermon series, The Weird and Wonderful Ways of Jesus, because they are weird. They're counterculture. They're the opposite of what your natural instincts are. They're the opposite of what people do and and what we see other people do, but they're wonderful because they work, because they're transformative, because they bless us and take care of us. Now, I want to put a little caveat, almost a little buffer around what I'm fixing to say. I think all these things I'm fixing to say, it may take, there may take a little time for you to be able to do these things. One, it's a process of working through for a long time. But let's just say, I'm going to give you a worst-case scenario. You found out your child has been abused by some adult, and you may not tomorrow be able to fully put into practice everything I'm fixing to tell you. It may take a little emotional buffer time. Am I making sense? Now, the quicker you get to these things, the quicker the healing and the better off you'll be. But I I say that to say that we're trying to live in the real world, and we're trying to live out our Christianity in the real world. Verse 27 begins with this, but I say to you who are here, now I'm preaching out of the English Standard Version, great translation, but there's other translations I like better because I think it words it better at that one point. What Jesus is saying to his listeners 2,000 years ago, and ironically what he's saying to Rustin uh, on... um, (laughs) Independence Day weekend is he's saying this, I've got to tell you something right here, he's in the middle of a sermon, that's going to be really hard to hear. And some of you may not be willing to hear it. And if you're not willing to hear it, don't be mad at Jesus or the preacher if things don't turn out well. Jesus was saying, put on your big boy and your big girl pants and boots right now. And let, listen to what I'm fixing to say, Jesus was saying, if you're willing to hear. Here's how he tells us to deal with our enemies. Number one, love them. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Verse 27, but I say to you who will hear, love your adversary. Love those who are hostile to you. Love those who are out to hurt you. Now, this is very, very important. The New Testament was written in Greek, and every English translation you have is a great translation of the the Greek Bible. But here's one thing that, that the New Testament had four different words for love. We have one word we use for love, basically, in our English language. 
They had a word, we would translate it, it might, or transliterate, it would sound like the word storage, and it was used for a family love. And it's used a time or two in the New Testament. And then there's eros, which was for sexual love. And the Bible's not against sexual love in the right context, but that word's never found in the New Testament. There's the word philea, which is for brotherly love, a warm love that you have for a family member or for a friend. And then there's the word, and that word's used a few times in the New Testament. Then there's the word agape. That's the great biblical word for love that's used predominantly. That's the word used here. Here's what agape means. Agape means that I choose to love you. It's not about emotion. It's not about affection. It's not about feeling. It's, it's making a choice. In fact, the, the next few things we're going to see are fruits of love. It's making a choice to love someone, regardless of how I feel. Now, listen, you would be weird or dishonest if you said that you could uh, love a enemy, someone who's hateful to you, the same way you love your children, or you, unless your children are the ones who are hateful, or, or, the, or, or the way you, you love someone who really is your buddy, or your spouse, or someone you care about. Jesus isn't telling you to do that. Jesus isn't telling you to have warm and cuddlies toward these people. He's saying, I'm telling you to love them. And let me give you, I'm going to give you a little four subpoints of this love. love. First of all, it's an act of the will. It's a choice, okay? Some of you are going, there's no way I'm going to ever feel like cuddling up to my enemy. God's not telling you to cuddle up to him, by the way. But he's telling you, I want you to make a choice to love them. Let me tell you three things that it looks like. It's, it's being nice to their face. When you say, I'm going to love somebody, even if I don't like them, I hate what they do. I hate what they've done. I'm going to choose to be nice to their face. I'm going to choose to be nice behind their back. That doesn't mean that you lie about them. You're a fake or phony. We'll see more of that in a moment. Sometimes being nice behind someone's back is just not saying anything. And number four, it's, it's being at peace in your heart with them. Again, these are processes. These don't happen overnight. These don't, these don't take place instantaneously in most of us. But when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's saying this. I want you to make a choice. I want you to make a choice to be nice to that person. To their face, behind their back, be at peace in your heart. Jesus' first command here is to love our enemies. Here's the second thing. And really, these things all flow from love. He says, do good to them. Verse 27, but I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Man, Jesus is really meddling this morning, isn't he? Do good to those who hate you. The word good means to do well. It means to do honestly and fairly by someone. For instance, you're driving home after church today and you see your enemy on the side of the road with two flat tires pouring sweat. Your desire is to honk and say, God got you. Right? Pull over and help them change the tires is what God says. A pastor in New Orleans told the story of one of his church members, a guy named Bob, and, and Bob had a very hostile next-door neighbor. And if you've ever had a hostile or an uncomfortable person you've lived by, or you've, your business by. It is weird. It's everything is drama. And Bob had a tree, and it would blow leaves over in this guy's yard, man. And he cussed him out. And he let him have it. So Bob went over. He raked his yard. He 
bagged all the leaves up, put them on the, uh, the curb there for the people to, to get them. The neighbor went and got the bags and dumped them in Bob's driveway. You know, at that point, Bob needed to pull out the old brass knuckles, didn't he? In the world's eyes, yes. But what Bob did, Bob went and get, bought him a king cake. He's from New Orleans, remember. And he takes it over there for him and his wife and gives it to them. That's what doing good to your enemies is. It's going out of your way when you have a chance to bless them. Here's the third thing he says. Bless them with your words. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Wow. The word curse means insult. It means to wish you ruin. The word bless is where we get our English word eulogy from. And a eulogy you normally think of at a funeral. And some of you are going, boy, I wish my enemy would have a funeral. At a funeral, we say we eulogize someone. That means to speak well of them or to speak well about them. What does it mean when Jesus says, bless them with your words? Again, I think, honestly, this is part of it. Sometimes you don't say anything. Sometimes you just don't say anything. You don't be a fake. You don't be a phony. You don't lie. Oh, they're the greatest person in the world. They just gypped you out of $10,000. You don't lie. But folks, even the most evil, ugly person in the world might have a, a nice tooth, right? Or their ears might be cute. I mean, there's something you can say. Robert E. Lee was a Confederate general, the leader of the, the Confederate army in the Civil War. And, and by all accounts, he was a, a gentleman and a, and a good man. One time, one of his subordinates came to him and said, General, what do you think of this other soldier in our, in our military? What are your thoughts on him? And Lee said, well, I think he's a good tactician. He's smart, and he's a very good soldier. And the guy kind of was dismayed. He goes, boy, that's not what he says about you. And Lee's response was great. He said, you didn't ask me what he says about me. You asked me to tell you what I had to say about him. Don't be a fake. Don't be a phony. But Jesus says the way we combat our enemies the best it's not slander for slander, curse for curse. It's not being a fake or phony. It's not making up stuff. Sometimes it's just not saying anything. But then it's finding that kernel of good where we can say something positive about him. Here's the fourth thing. And by the way, all these things, you've got to pray. You've got to ask God to help you all the time with these things. Because none of them are natural. Then he tells us to pray for them. Some of you are going, yeah, I pray that a hammer will fall on their head. I understand that. I want to read you an Irish prayer. This is funny. It says, uh, God, may those that love us, love us. And may those that don't love us, God, may you turn their hearts. And God, if you will not turn their hearts, we pray that you'll turn their ankles so we'll know them by their limping. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Here comes my enemy, I can tell. They're limping. Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. The biblical word prayer there means to pray for good. It means to pray for protection or that God would avert evil from them. The Bible translation, the message, says it pretty well. It says, focus your energies on your enemy in prayer. Pray for them. Okay, how do you pray for that person who's hurt you, who's done you wrong. How do you pray for that person properly? Here's the first thing I pray for them about. I pray they'll get saved. They'll become a Christian. Listen, someone who treats other people evilly does not have the Holy Spirit living in them. 
Pray they'll be saved. Secondly, if they are a Christian, that they'll come back to God. There's something wrong. I don't care if you're in church every week. There's something wrong with you or me if we can constantly and regularly hurt people. I pray they'll get saved. I pray that they will get right with God. I pray they'll repent. I pray that they'll, they'll see the errors of their way. Maybe I need to see the errors of my way, but I pray, pray for that. I ask God to protect me from them. I ask God to protect them. And you ask God to bless them. Now listen to me on this. Be honest with me. If you went home today and you thought about three or four people who've really hurt you and you started praying today and asking God to bless them, how many of you seriously would not mean it? Just me and Jacob. And I see several hands, okay? You see, here's where you're getting real. Jacob, are you talking about your father? Okay. Here's where you're getting real. Here's where you're going to start having a spiritual breakthrough. When you can pray to God and say, God... I do not mean what I'm saying, but God, help me to mean it. Are you following me? God, man, I am struggling. The truth is, I wish a 50-pound grapefruit would fall on their head, but I'm going to ask you to bless this person. Change them, save them, straighten them out, help them to repent and bless them. And God, I don't mean a word I'm saying. Help me to mean it. Folks, if you're serious about prayer, that's a prayer God will honor. And you stay with that consistently, and you know what? You will begin to mean it. Don't go to God phony baloney. Go to God and be real. And when you're, when you're praying real to God about that, I'm telling you, God will bless and honor that. That's all that stuff's tough. Every bit of it's tough. How many of you think Jesus knew what he was talking about? Let me ask you that. You think so? We don't do this very well, but Jesus was right on target. So let's look at this. What happens when we stick it to our enemies Jesus' way? What happens when you and I do these things Jesus' way? What's, what's going to be the end result? Here's the first thing. It can change the situation wonderfully. It can. I mean, when you're loving somebody and you're praying for them and you're doing good to them, sometimes God gets in there and he changes them, he changes you, and before you know it, you're pals. And things are great. That absolutely can happen. True story, a little boy, Joshua, he was nine years old. He got a, a, a bike for his birthday or Christmas, is for Christmas. He lived in kind of a bad neighborhood, so he knew every night he'd ride that bike, play on his bike, then he'd come in, he'd lock it up in the garage. He did that for months. One day, he forgot. He left it out in the front yard. The next day, he came, the bike was gone. He was devastated. His parents didn't have the money to buy him a new bike. They were poor. But his parents were wonderful Christians. Little Joshua was a Christian, so here's what they started praying. God, help me to forgive this person. God, we ask you to bless this person. Lord, I'd sure love to have my bike back, but God, help me to forgive him. After a few days, the little boy, on his own initiative, made a sign and put it up in the front yard. Whoever stole my bike, I forgive you. Two days later, the bike shows back up with new handlebars and new grips on it. Isn't that great? That's great if you're the kid. It's not great to any of you, but that would be great, wouldn't it? And see, God can do that, man. God, if God can create the world, God can heal a relationship. 
God can do it. And sometimes, and, and your best bet absolutely for the healing is going to be to do it God's way. Here's the second thing, and this is a reality check too. The situation may not change at all. It may not change at all. What do I mean by that? I mean that you can pray, you can love them, you can do good, you can do your very best, and that situation doesn't change at all. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, and I bet it's higher. I said 70-30 in the first service. It may be 80, 85 15. In my life as a Christian, I've been a Christian about 34 years, 35 years. I would say 80 to 85% of the time when I've tried to apply these principles, it's not been reconciled. It's not been restored. 15% of the time it has, wonderful and beautiful. You say, well, why is that? Because reconciliation takes two. I got four, but it takes two. In other words, you cannot heal somebody else's broken and sick heart. God himself is not going to force them to go against their will to do what's right. Some people are a narcissist. You know what a narcissist is? They really get up every day and think the sun's going around them. They're not going to be easily reconciled to anybody because they never do anything wrong. A next step would be your psychopath. who don't, They don't only do anything wrong. They have no emotions and no feelings. You're not going to be able to bridge the gap with those type of people. But here's the great news. That's on them. You are a winner when you do it God's way, period. That's what you're shooting for, right? See, when we do it God's way and they don't respond, they will answer to God for their behavior, not you or me. So expect a lot of the times it's not going to be hunky-dory. The bike's not going to show back up. But that's okay if you're doing what you should because here's the third thing. This will change you. It will absolutely change you. I'd bet you everything Lance owns, not everything I own, but everything Lance owns, that if you'll go home and you'll start living these things out, over time God will transform your heart. He'll change you. I read a book early this year. The title of it was Hungry, Hustle, and Humble. It was describing what a great employee or a great team player or uh, athlete, whatever it's like. They're they're a go-getter. They're humble. They hustle. And the author in the book had been a pastor. He had worked for some big organizations too. And and he said this. He said in his life, he struggled with competitors. Uh, I think especially in the business world. And especially when you're in a small town and you feel like somebody's trying to take your customers or they're undermining you. And he goes, man, you get in that game where you're, even as a Christian, you know, it's back and forth. You're playing under the table. He goes, I had to stop. And he said, it was tearing me up. So he said, I started these principles. I started praying for my competitors. I didn't mean a word I'd say. I say, God bless their business. I don't mean it. God help me to mean it. He said, I'd notice when they had some success, I'd write them a card. I'd call them. I'd invite them to go to lunch occasionally. I tried to do good and speak well of them or not say anything at all. Here's what he said. I actually made friends with some of my competitors. Most of them I didn't. But here's what he said. God changed my heart. God changed my heart. You see, the greatest miracle a lot of times is not God changing them. It's God changing me and God changing you. And when we do what we should, we're the winner. And that we will be changed. Here's a 
fourth thing, it's a great witness for Jesus. This is so different from the world. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 32 and 33. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners, and the word sinners here means the habitual, deviant, bad person. Even they do that. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Here's what Jesus is saying in a southern paraphrase. The most hillbilly, swamp person, backwoods redneck who doesn't know God, they'll be nice to people who are nice to them most of the time. They're going to help people who help them. They'll love people who love them. Jesus is saying, if you say you're a Christ follower, you want your life to be where it should be, if that's all you do, You're no different than them. Jesus said, when you step out and you start practicing your Christianity this way, this separates you. Look in verse 36 what Jesus says. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Listen, these Jewish people would have gone back to the Old Testament. And over 130 times in the 39 books in the Old Testament, over 130 times, it talks about God being merciful and the mercy of God. And he's saying this, when you and I treat our enemies, enemies this way, this brings glory to God. This is Christ-like behavior. If we, if all we do is act like everybody else, then, then we're no different. Jesus said this separates people. It's a great witness. And lastly, the, 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 the chocolate syrup on the ice cream, God will bless you tremendously. God will bless you tremendously. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good, lend. We're going to look at that next week. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward, what you will earn, what's coming to you will be great, abundant, tremendous. And you will be called the sons of the most high God for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Man, here's what God is saying. Yes, this is terribly hard. Yes, this is difficult. Yes, you can't do it unless you have the Holy Spirit inside of you helping you, which you can have inside of you. But if you and I will make a choice to live this way, we not only bring glory to God, but God says, I will bless you. I'll give you a joy in your heart that the world can't give you. And someday you're going to walk into heaven and you cannot imagine the great reward that God has for you. And by the way, he says this, when you act this way, this proves that you are a child of the most high God. Isn't that awesome? So I want to tell you, I know it's hard. I live in the same world you live in. I get shot at by the same arrows you get shot at by. I know it's hard, but I also know that this works. And I know that you and I can't imagine how God can bless us here and how he will there if we'll live this out. The question is, will we? Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I'm going to challenge you more in just a moment. But if you're not a Christian, you, you've got to give your life to Christ for your eternity, for the life you need now, and to live this out. You can't do this on your own. You're ready to give your life to Christ. Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I I accept your God's son 
and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus, and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second, and when we do, Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. Listen, you've got to have Christ in you to live this out. You come this morning. Let one of our ministers help you cross that line with Jesus today. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church family. I'll be honest with you. You need a church connection to do this. You need people who will love you, pray for you, and help you. You can join after church, or you can come in a moment when we stand. And and let one of our ministers help you. We'd love for you to join. Do it today. And Christian, you got to get real with yourself. You're not pleasing to God if you're not doing this. This isn't optional. Maybe where you're standing or, or at the altar, praying with a minister on your knees, you need to say to God, God, help me. And with your help, I'm going to do this moving forward. Choice is yours. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.